Hi everyone, my name is Patrick Akil, and if you want to be a tech lead or engineering manager, keep listening. We cover the responsibilities, the accountabilities, all the abilities, and even how you can grow into that position from a developer or software engineer position. Joining me today is Patrick Kwa, who's been in the industry for about 20 plus years in various roles, CTO, consultant, and even tech lead. And he focuses now on mentorship, coaching, and trainings, which is really cool. I'll put all his links to his socials in the description below. He also has a newsletter, which I follow, Level Up. It's there. Check him out. And with that being said, enjoy the episode. I was wondering, because I was going to go through this with regards to the trainings that I did, because you and I met about a year ago and I followed one of your tech lead trainings. But since you also have that coach role for CTOs, is there kind of a commonality in the problems that they face or are struggling with that you've noticed kind of a, a trend throughout? Not so much. So <clears throat> a lot of this has to do with the scope and uh, role. So, um, you know, a lot of the technical leadership challenges will be the same. Yeah. Um, but a CTO is going to have very different sort of challenges. Uh, a lot of it has to do with um, sort of, yeah, organizational things, mm. right? So like teams, this might be about hiring, restructuring, or um you know about more senior leadership roles what yeah. type of skill sets or um uh you know maybe they've got somebody but it's not quite what they need and like trying to navigate through that yeah uh it's often about the relationship with product and their ceo so uh quite different products uh quite, quite different sort of problems um and because it's like ctos i also do vps of engineering so it depends on a company but um the VP um, or CTO will typically take things like org structure process. Yeah. But sometimes with a CTO, then it's also about things like, um, you know, if you're acquiring another company, like how do you deal with like different technology stacks and due diligence? Lots of different things. Yeah, interesting. Very much, I think, context dependent then for kind of the, the VPs and the CTOs in that way. Is that the There's same? There's a lot more variety. That's correct. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. I would say if at a... Team level, it's like there is still variety, yeah. Um, but I think the types of problems are, are very consistent. What what would be an example of like the types of problems that are like rampant in there when it comes to team structure? Um, like splitting teams, like yeah. how big, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, are we? Rec is this actually the podcast or is this like just warm up? <laughs> I I don't know. I usually check after, like when we're editing. What a good ah. moment to start would be. <laughs> All right. Okay. I, I, I kind of assume that you do like an intro. So I was just no, I, I record the intro after our conversation. I put that in front. Ah. Sorry, I should, have, I should have said that. <laughs> uh, no worries. I was just like, have we started or is this yeah. like... <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different things. Um, so, you know, I think one thing is it's like, do you decide if you want just a tech lead? Um, and therefore, are they going to do the people management? So the yeah. tech lead manager? Uh, or um, do you hire two types of roles, like a tech lead and an engineering manager? Because there's going to be some sort of interesting trade-offs from that sort of side. Um, in terms of team structures and various things like that, um, then it's kind of a question of like, um, yeah, like when should you split or you know, how big uh, should teams be? And, you know, it all really depends. I don't, I don't um, you know, the, the thing that I do with CTOs is coach, not mentor. Yeah. So um, a lot of the time I'm just helping them talk through uh, trade-offs and, um, you know, I expect them to sort of make their decision at the end, having talked through some of those trade-offs. 
uh, because they are ultimately going to own that decision. And if they're going to be successful, they also have to go off and, and you know, make it happen. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, I think if somebody gives you an answer, you're generally not normally so like committed to it to a certain degree. Right? Exactly. And so uh, it's good to get some different perspectives. And that's kind of the things that we have when we have those conversations. But, um, you know, I'm always going back to, okay, well, these are all the things that you might sort of do, but like, what do you feel is best? Like, what do you think given all the constraints and, you know, they know people better locally uh, and they know the current context and where their organization's going. So they're going to come up with a better decision than I could, um, you know, uh, without more context. Exactly. Yeah. And your role is just to basically help them throughout their thought process and putting that on the table as kind of a sparring partner for them exactly. to make the decision because ultimately they are responsible, they're accountable yes. and they are in yeah. that role and they know and the context. Me, yeah. Absolutely. And for me, that's a, a good reminder about coaching uh, is that, you know, a coach helps a person find their own solution and to solve their own problems. Yeah. Um, and as a technical person, it, like I still have to do this as well. Uh, is, you know, it's very natural to want to solve problems, right? Yeah. Like to give advice, to say, here, here's how I would do that. And I, here's how I think you should do it. But yeah. I, I think part of the art is like biting your tongue to a certain degree and like catching yourself before you say, ah, like you should do this in this moment. Um, and I think that's the real art and skill of coaching. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, I, it's easier to solve the problem or to give advice in that aspect, but to allow someone to go through their own thought process, right? From a coach perspective, it requires a lot of time, requires yeah. the right questions and allowing for that space for the other person to come to the conclusions. And they might be different than yours, but that doesn't so, matter in the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's a, I think it's a habit. Like I often talk about with both the technical leadership training and entering manager training, um, you know, people who come from that individual contributor background, that maker to multiplier mindset. Yeah. And it's hard to turn off that maker habit of like, I have this problem, I want to solve it. So. Exactly. Yeah, I was actually going to hook into that. Look at that. You could be a great podcast host because my assumption would be exactly that that would be a problem. Yeah. And I think it, I mean, when I followed the training, that was also what a lot of people struggled with, right? Because they come from a, a, a role of technical excellence and they want to take the next step. And usually yeah. that would be like a tech lead role or an engineering manager role, or there's various options in there, but they exactly. want to take that kind of background and the baggage that they've built up with them. And they have, I mean, I wouldn't say problems with that, but they do struggle with kind of delegating those decisions and allowing the team to own that and not be a bottleneck in that process. At least that, that's what I feel like. No, I agree. And and I think, um, you know, I, I truly believe that uh, everyone's trying to do a good job regardless of whatever they do. Yeah. Um, and I think it's more uh, naivety um, or ignorance, so lack of, you know, knowing uh, what they should be doing. Because most people, um, I think, you know, both a tech lead and engineering manager, they think, okay, I'm an you know, engineer, I become a senior engineer, like what's my next step up? Yeah. And so I think when they go, oh, I'm a tech lead or an engineering manager, they're like, well, it's more of like what I was doing before. So, yeah. you know, it's more of like making decisions or solving more complex technical problems. And the thing I like to remind people of, which doesn't really happen when people find themselves in those roles, is the expectation they shouldn't see it as that promotion, but it is actually a very different role and it's a sidestep. 
Yeah. So um, you're going to do different things. You should do different things. And uh, you're going to need some new skills, which you may not have built any experience in, yeah. which means making a lot of mistakes. And that's scary for a lot of people. And I think, you know, when you're doing something new, it's kind of natural to kind of go back to what you're comfortable with. Yeah. Uh, which then, you know, creates this sort of reinforcing cycle. Exactly. I mean, if I look at those positions or those roles, especially in my past, it was interesting because I would see like the pattern of going back to kind of the comfort zone. But to me, if I think of my position and if I were to take that next step, one of the first things I would do is kind of test what is expected of me and see if that aligns with kind of my uh, my vision of the job or the roles and responsibilities there. Because I th still think they're kind of context dependent. But as soon as there's a mismatch in there and it doesn't get addressed or acknowledged, I think that's where kind of the frustration builds up to a point where you might be too late with that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think a lot of people aren't really helped because they, um, you know, whoever puts them there. Yeah. So I guess from a consulting perspective, either like staffing um, or from a sort of product perspective, somebody's manager, most people, you know, it's like a quick conversation. Like, yeah. like do you want to lead this team? Good. Okay, great. Uh, but nobody <laughs> really sits down and says, uh, here's how you need to behave differently. Yeah. Right? Like nobody has a very careful, and that's one of the reasons why, I love the the training um, support that I can offer people because, um, you know, you, I don't get the timing. Like I can't get people like literally in the moment they start in a new role. Yeah. But, you know, I think most people kind of go through that realization either early on, if they've been doing it for a while, they're kind of like, ah, oh, like this is why I've been struggling. Um, and I encourage people, particularly when I do these private cohorts for companies, to also send people who are thinking about doing this in the future. Yeah. Because, um, you know, we talked how uh, a lot of these require new skills and roles. And if people are kind of aware of that, they then have an opportunity to actually start finding ways to practice before they find themselves in that role, having to use the skill. And so they actually have that sort of uh, earlier chance of actually building some skills and experience without having to fail spectacularly because they're now accountable for those uh, responsibilities. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Let's uh, let's zoom in on that because you mentioned the skills that a tech lead would require that are not normally or that are a bit more out there when it comes to taking that role and that are different from kind of the maker role, the, the traditional developer or software engineer. What are the yeah. most ones that you see people don't acknowledge or see initially? Yeah, uh, so I'll, I'll talk about one that you also mentioned earlier, which was around delegating, yeah. right? So I think this is about like involving other people. Um, and this is also a really hard thing um, for technical leaders uh, because, you know, most people are used to sort of owning a problem, right? Yeah. Like that's kind of reinforced by some language from people around individual contribution. It's my thing, my contribution. Um, and as a technical leader, you kind of have to give something away. Um, and, you know, the sort of thing that people uh, enjoy often about that process is kind of like, oh, like I got to learn something by solving this problem yeah. or by solving it my particular way. And, um, you know, both a mindset shift of saying, okay, well, now I need to, you know, give other people the opportunity. But the difficult part here is also is when you delegate well, you have to delegate the outcome and you have to be comfortable. Somebody may come up with a very different implementation and that yeah. makes some people very uncomfortable, right? Uh, it took me a while as well to get to, to sort of maybe reframe it mm. of like, I have the potential also to learn through other people how they might approach a problem very differently, yeah. right? That's a, that's a good benefit. But initially it's kind of like, oh, like, no, that's not how I do it. So it must be wrong, right? Yeah. And 
Uh, then comes out those tendencies that from other people's perspective might be considered like micromanagement of like wanting to get involved in a lot of the detail. And that's one of those big challenges of really sort of stepping back and focusing on outcomes of trying to talk about, okay, what needs to be done? What's the right level of quality? And being comfortable, somebody will come up with a different implementation. And as long as the sort of quality aspects are sort of met, it shouldn't matter. So that's a that's a real challenge for a lot of technical leaders. Yeah. And discussions, especially if you're in a big team, those discussions can take up so much time, so much overhead of the rest of the team as well. Well, in yeah. the end, it doesn't matter who's right. It really do, truly doesn't matter. We're going to pick yes. with option A. If option B turns out to be better, we can flip. And if option yeah. A is fine, then we'll continue with option A. But I think that's a lot of people, I mean, me, myself, especially a few years back, I used to describe myself as very stubborn. But now I acknowledge that it doesn't make any sense that I'm right if all everything I'm doing around it is is making it worse for the team, basically. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, so maybe another thing that's actually difficult for a lot of people uh, transitioning into this, and I, I, I double down on this, particularly for engineering managers, mm. which is uh, dealing with people, mm. right? Like people things are hard uh, because, um, you know, there's this sort of saying that people are like snowflakes because snowflakes <laughs> are like, unique. Yeah. And that's also about, you know, true about people. And I think when people step into a leadership or management role, they think, oh, well, you know, everyone's like me, so I'll treat them in my own personal preferences. And this is the hard thing is, you know, when you're dealing with lots of different people who each person is like a snowflake, you have to learn how to do things very differently in sort of accordance or preferences uh, to each of those individuals. And yeah. so that means that as a later on manager, you kind of need to be quite flexible in how you do lots of different activities. Concrete example, right? Let's say that you need to make a team announcement. So mm -hmm. I know that my personal preference is to write things down because A, I think it tends to be, um, uh, you know, it helps me sort of go through that, but also I can read a lot quicker than I can like listen to podcasts or, or watch videos and things like that. Yeah. Um, but you know, some people will never read emails. Like it annoys me, but like, <laughs> I, I, I understand, like, there are some people who are just really bad at reading emails, yeah. um, let alone writing emails. <laughs> um, and, you know, for them, they they need to be talked through, right? Maybe their personal preferences are they, they need to have that personal conversation, yeah. and that's okay. Um, but, you know, if you're sort of announcing something, that means that you now have to do this a couple of different ways. Uh, it's not just aligned to your own personal preferences, but to the preferences of the team that you're leading or managing as well. And so I think, A, it's awareness that there are like, you know, different ways more than like how you do things. Uh, and B, of trying to sort of tailor and adapt it. Um, and, you know, sort of dealing with the, the wonderful world that is people. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that. I mean, it's a difficult thing to be aware of the things if you're kind of in your bubble and you're doing your things and you think they're working. I think one of the ways that you can get out of that is truly just to ask feedback. Ask feedback and, and also explain kind of your thought process, right? Like this is the problem or this is what I'm trying to tackle and these are the kind of my options and this is what I've picked. Because people can then kind of think with you and give you different alternatives for you to grow as a person. You're never going to step into that role and do it 100% of the time perfectly. Yeah. That's never going to happen actually. No. So you have to learn and grow and allow yourself to grow in that way as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that's the thing that you kind of really highlighted there, which is like when you deal with people and particularly like teams, uh, you know, you never end up with like the right solution. Yeah. Right? There's no like right 
thing that you can say objectively, this is the thing that fits that problem space. Um, and so I think one of the difficulties is like a lot of technical people like a lot of certainty. Yeah. But when you're dealing with people and particularly then groups of people in a team, uh, you know, like sometimes you're going to have to like make decisions or help the team make a decision that not everyone's going to be happy with. Right. And that's a hard thing because then it means that you haven't got that perfect solution and you may not ever have the time to find it as well. Yeah. I, I think if you're in a role like that and you are like involving more people and interacting with more people, there's a few different types of conversations that you're going to have. Delegating is one of them and even saying no to others is also one of them. And making a decision and being like, this is the way for now, let's see and adapt along the way is a yeah. third one. And I, there's probably numerous ones more. But yeah. I think if you're in that position, you need to be flexible enough and also acknowledge which conversations you're good at and which ones you still need to work on because you're just going to have more types of different conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and um, on top of that, talking about uh, conversations, this is where I'd also add one of the big challenges for technical people stepping to leadership or management roles is communication. Mm. Uh, it's something that I've had to coach a lot of technical leaders and managers on. It's one of the reasons I have a course on communi like, communicate like a CTO on uh, the Tech Lead Academy, yeah. because it's such a foundational skill. Um, and I think the reason it's important is as a technical leader or manager, you're going to be interacting with many other people from different parts of a business, uh, you know, people who come from marketing. I mean, product is one that everyone normally sort of works with yeah. uh, from like business operations or like, you know, so a CEO or MD. Uh, and, um, you know, if you start talking uh, to all of those people about like technical implementations, like, uh, you know, using, I don't know, Java and Spring and like Docker and Kubernetes and, you know, we have lots of tech debt and, you know, our build is really slow. You're going to lose a lot of people, right? Yeah. They, they're like, I don't really understand what you're talking about. I don't understand <laughs> what's important. What are you actually trying to communicate? And that's a really hard skill because most people are used to talking to other technical folk. Yeah. And once again, it's a very underdeveloped skill for a lot of people um, that is going to really be necessary when you find yourself in those roles. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, we we laid out some of the kind of roles and responsibilities which you might not think of, but would you say you need to be kind of comfortable or adequate before you step into that role? Or even when is kind of the right step for you or, or someone in their career to take that step and kind of gain a leadership position or take leadership responsibilities in that way? Um, so um, I, I would... Um, I would think about it. So, I mean, A, firstly, everyone's a little bit different because they all have yeah. different experiences. Um, and um, B, what I would sort of think about is like, um, what sort of behavior am I already seeing from people um, that will help them be successful technical leaders or managers? And mm. one of those behaviors that I, I particularly look for is this idea of so proactivity. Yeah. Um, you know, of like going, okay, something's not right. So let me take that problem and let me try to solve it and help the team get better at that. Um, because if I think about like two categories of people, uh, you sometimes have people that go, you know, I want to be a tech lead. I want to be a manager. Mm. Um, you know, like I've been an individual contributor a long time. I want to have this role. There could yeah. be lots of reasons behind that. Um, but if they don't really demonstrate that proactivity, simply giving somebody a title doesn't turn them into proactive people. Yeah. And, you know, when they find themselves in that role, there's often going to be lots of things that they don't take care of because they haven't built up that skill and behavior. 
Whereas if you're a sort of proactive sort of individual, that's what I think about as like demonstrating leadership, right? Of like spotting something and improving something that you're already doing to help multiply people in your team. That's kind of effectively the essence of what you have to do when you're in those leadership roles, right? So I think about those sort of two categories of like, you have people that sometimes like point at problems and then they kind of like, complain about it, hoping that somebody else will do about it. Yeah. That's not the right behavior. It's, <laughs> that's not going to work when you're in a technical leadership or management role because, hey, that's now your responsibility. You actually have to do something about it. Whereas, exactly. you know, if you have people uh, on teams that are already demonstrating that, like the chances are they're going to be a lot more successful when they get into that role. Yeah, I really like that you highlight that the role is and the title is just like a hat and anyone can wear that hat, but someone actually needs to take on those responsibilities and even... I mean, the accountability kind of comes with that role, but you can still take ownership of that as well. And those people will eventually grow into those roles. You don't have to have the role to take ownership and to do those responsibilities. You can already be proactive in that way and do that. But would you also then say that kind of leadership positions are not for everyone? Uh, No, not everyone is. And uh, some people would like to simply stay being a maker. And that's perfectly fine too. Uh, you know, um, I think it's important that we have a lot of people who can focus on getting stuff done. Um, I also see sort of any patterns when everyone wants to become a leader or manager. And I I would disclaim that a little bit is that, you know, I think you can have multiple leaders on a team, Mm. but I think it makes sense to have one formal technical leader. Yeah. um, Because I think it's important to make sure that there is a a decision-making sort of tiebreaker effectively. And that needs to be done through a more formal channel. Um, you know, what I do see with formal uh, or good formal technical leaders is that they do try to groom everyone to be a leader, mm. right? This is about that proactivity again. Uh, and you do that by investing in psychological safety, encouraging people to really, you know, step up and take ownership of issues, which means as the formal leader, you're not necessarily, you know, actively doing everything for the team. The team becomes a bit more like a, what you uh, might describe as a, uh, self-empowered team of everyone, you know, taking care of things. Yeah. And um, I like to then think of the formal technical leader a bit more of a safety net, right? Is that sometimes uh, what sometimes happens is the if everyone owns something, nobody owns it. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, somebody needs to make sure that everything uh, that is important is getting done. And that's why there's, you know, formal technical leaders is there's a sort of level of accountability. So, um, but I don't think everyone has to, you know, necessarily want to become a formal technical leader because, because of that accountability, right? Some people don't want to necessarily have that responsibility for other people. And that's a scary thing for some people. And that's okay if people don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I like that you highlight that, right? The qualities that are in a leadership role, you can still get and you can still hone. You don't need to have all the responsibility and the accountability, right? But proactivity in that way is a quality. And if if that is inherent within the members of a team, then it's going to be a proactive team. And a proactive team is going to pick up things and and discover new things that are going to help them along the way and make the end product, doesn't really matter what you're building, but it's going to make the end product then better as a result of that, which is really cool. Absolutely. And when I think about other good qualities of, of, you know, leaders is that, you know, everyone should be growing the people that they're leading. Yeah. Um, but also that's no, uh, it doesn't exclude other individual contributors from growing other people on the team. Like we all learn from each other all the time through code reviews or pair programming and through other people's experiences. Uh, you do that anyway. Uh, 
Um, it's just once again the you're accountable to make sure it happens if you're a technical leader. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I I mean, for me personally, a few weeks back, or you know, I think it was last week, I was asked like, we're gonna split the team, and do you want to be a tech leader, or do you see yourself in that role for that new team then? And I had a decision to make, and I chose, and I still don't know if that's the right choice, but I said there's a person that's better suited for me. So I want to be in that team with them so I can learn from them and kind of take those responsibilities. But at the time, I wasn't comfortable taking on that role. Now I discussed it with a few people, even with my girlfriend, and she was like, I would have jumped on it probably and then see how that went. But I think there's numerous ways to go about that, right? For me, being comfortable in a role and having those responsibilities, I really want to do honor to that role and, and the accountability that comes with that. So I think for me in a personal learning journey, it's better if I see someone that I trust within that position to then learn from and, and kind of pull myself up from. But yeah, it's kind yeah, of Yeah, and I, you know, I, I think um, you, you highlighted an important part here, which is like, A, understanding what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, because most people don't, right? Most people are like doing it for often external reasons. Like it might be pay or compensation or like the, I get to call myself a tech lead. <laughs> yeah. Um, but trophy. once again, there are often the wrong reasons to want to step into that role because most of the time those people will suck uh, and their team will suffer if they're doing it for the wrong reasons. And, you know, I think yourself, it's a, uh, you know, what I heard there is it's like you want to, um, you have a good opportunity to learn from somebody else and to, to build up that skill and experience so that when you find yourself in that role, uh, you know, you can uh, perhaps uh, be a lot more competent at a lot of the new skills that are necessary. Um, which will definitely help uh, improve the experience for a lot of people as well. So, you know, I think that's a, that's a great thing because, um, A, it's like self-awareness for you that you know what you want to do. And, um, you know, when you do step into that role, you'll end up doing it for the right reasons, uh, which will then translate into a better experience for you in that role as well as for everyone else in that team as well. Yeah, yeah, I hope. Uh, I mean, I don't really look and past decisions and be like oh i regret this or i regret that sometimes i do and i think that's healthy as well because it, it strives to do better or it allows me to strive to do better in the future but for now i'm yeah. going to see how that plays out when i look at my career i really have kind of two passions i guess and a lot has to do with people and a lot has to do with content creation that's kind of how the podcast thing got rolling as well so i foresee myself either moving towards devrel and developer advocacy or more towards doing more with people which would be in my view, like engineering manager in that way. Tech lead could be a step uh, just below that to kind of tread towards that. But what is kind of the relationship between a tech lead and an engineering manager? What's the dynamic there? Um, so, I mean, I'll say it really depends on the organization because yeah. in some places they are one and the same. So um, uh, when I talk about engineering managers, there are sort of five different archetypes I talk about. Mm. And uh, one of them is the tech lead engineering manager. And that's basically a person. So we, we talked previously about sort of playing hats. Uh, and as a person who's kind of got both hats on, one which is a tech lead and an engineering manager. Um, so they have to do both roles effectively. Right? Yeah. So they have to lead uh, technical discussions. Uh, they're generally a lot more hands-on, like literally writing code features. Uh, and they're also then accountable for all the people management responsibilities. Now, in some organizations, those two are split. Mm. And so, um, you know, there might be split because it's just how the organization runs. Uh, it might be split because, um, you know, they're maybe uh, managing a larger team. Yeah. And so it's often hard to be a really good tech lead manager uh, with a large team, particularly on a very complex product domain. 
Uh, and so if you split them, you know, two people can then spend more time focusing on making sure they do all of their responsibilities really well. Yeah. Whereas if you try to stick them all in one person, that person's probably going to end up burnt out uh, with too much context switching and uh, just too many things to literally do. Um, so, you know, that might be another reason why some organizations split. Interesting. But um, where you do have that split of a tech lead and interim manager, uh, the typical uh, sort of line that I sort of see is uh, the tech lead is, yeah, leading the team technically. Uh, so this means, you know, as the team is making significant architecture decisions, uh, you know, it might be about like pulling in a uh, you know, new partner for external dependency that you're going to then be working with for a long time, maybe a significant change to some of the system design. Um, you know, they're helping to shepherd uh, the team's choices to make sure the team is making good choices. Um, and then also trying to make sure that the team continues to remain uh, productive mm. uh, because a tech lead will often, you know, be able to spot sort of things that slow a team down. It might be a slow CI build process or, you know, they often have a lot more experience so they can help the team maybe simplify some parts of the system um, uh, in order to sort of speed up feedback so they can continue to evolve a sort of system. So they're very, very hands-on from that side, working with the team on technical quality, architecture design topics. Uh, this often then means the uh, engineering manager forms what I would describe as a team lead uh, um, engineering manager archetype. Yeah. And so they can really focus on sort of the the people and the sort of team aspects. So, um, you know, they'll be doing things like one-to-ones. Uh, they'll be working with each individual to define a personal growth plan to try to find out how they can grow within the sort of environments that the uh, team or the organization can offer them. Um, they'll often be working on, uh, um, you know, making sure that the team uh, are actually working as a team and not just a bunch of individuals yeah. uh, in that they get along with each other, that they are you know, giving each other feedback in a healthy way. Uh, and, uh, you know, they deepen that sort of trust amongst everyone, um, which often means, you know, uh, making sure that the team sort of process or flow is working well uh, so that everyone, uh, you know, uh, maybe having those difficult conversations up front so that they can resolve issues and continue to build good relationships. They can focus a lot on those sorts of areas um, and then often also take care of a lot of the, what I'd say as organizational bureaucracy, maybe, yeah. uh, processes, uh, you know, status reporting, uh, you know, keeping planning going, uh, dealing with budgeting or approval processes for teams. So that's often the, the set of responsibilities that fall into that interim measure. And so those two, because they're leading the team in different ways, they need to synchronize, um, you know, they need to keep uh, aligned um, is that, you know, the tech lead will probably be working maybe with individuals a lot more hands-on yeah. uh, because they're maybe literally working with people on a specific feature. Um, and the engineering manager um, will be having conversations with people in one-to-ones as well about growth and like what's holding them back and how they, you know, what support they need. And they're going to they're get sort of different pictures of how um, individuals and how the team is working. So they need to synchronize if they're going to keep aligned. And so that's a really important part if you do split the sort of roles I would also not say it's just those two, but anyone else who's going to be co-leading the team. And another common uh, role will be the product manager. Right? Yeah. So um, those three roles really need to keep uh, synchronized in order for a team to be effective. Interesting. Yeah, I can really see why the role would be split, right? Especially if you have multiple teams in a bigger organization, you would just split those responsibilities and each person can then focus on kind of really honing that responsibility and doing honor to that. But exactly as you say, the engineering manager is going to get a completely different perspective and they do have skin in the game, but not within that team. 
and the tech lead would have kind of skin in the game with that team specifically. So the conversation is also going to have kind of a different tonality. There's a different hierarchy and a different responsibility towards that person in that com conversation. So I also think that benefits kind of the end result in helping the people within that team to allow them to grow, right? Because you're going to get different perspectives. Yes, you do need to align, uh, but you're going to get multiple puzzle pieces of the whole truth, I guess, which is going to give yeah, you a better Yeah, absolutely. And... Oh. And um, what I would say is that, um, you know, I, I, I keep emphasizing those two roles need to be aligned and synchronized. Um, and I want to sort of focus on like one pitfall or trade-off if you do split them yeah. uh, where people don't get along, mm. right? Because I think one of the um, challenges sometimes you have is sometimes you can get engineering managers who aren't doing people management, like line reporting in some organizations very important. Yeah. Um, and that's often like a organizational decision about like, do people in a team report to its a tech lead? Therefore, they're doing like some of the people management. Um, and therefore, you still have a team lead type person engineering manager, but they're not responsible for people management. Um, and then, you know, there's the argument that the engineering manager should uh, have this because the tech lead is going to be spending time with people as well. Yeah. And sometimes that, that dynamic can turn into an unhealthy dynamic, right? Because some people are like, well, my only way of influencing people is because I'm their manager. Right. Like mm -hmm. I, I literally have a say in their review process. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're working well together, then they should be leading well through influence and through healthier relationships of trust rather than just because I report to you and you're deciding if I get a promotion or a review in the future. Um, you know, that that can turn into an unhealthy discussion sometimes. I can imagine. I mean, hierarchy does that to the people in a group. Like my manager sometimes asks, like, can you be completely transparent with me? I'm like still my manager so i can say yes but probably somewhere deep down i know that that's not true that's then the truth i give him and he, he respects that but he also acknowledges that i mean hierarchy is a thing right we've established yes. roles and responsibilities and they do affect the way you communicate with someone and you can do everything to do like everything in your power to kind of break that but it's always going to be in place in the back of people's minds and that's absolutely yeah. yeah it is it is yeah, i can imagine that I mean, the roles and responsibilities, they can fit with one person, but I, I'm assuming if you do split it, there's also going to be a conversation about what, what lies where. And it's very much yep. going to be context dependent, but in my view, what we shouldn't like, the goal is to make the team and the people in that team as effective as possible and allow them to grow and thrive within the organization, right? So also yes. you need to be, choose your battles in that way and it's give and take yep. when it comes to your own decisions. Because sometimes it's also, if you have a leadership position, I would assume, it's not necessarily about you. It's more so about the people that you are responsible for. And that should then also be your main priority and your main focus. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, maybe something a little bit practical for some of the people who are listening as well is that, you know, you mentioned that, um, yeah, you have to have that conversation around split of responsibilities. Yeah. And a good mental model I tend to think of is you have your team, right? You have everyone working in the team. Um, and then as a co-leadership, group, you should consider them also as a team. Yeah. And a good practice with any team is to have conversations around expectations over roles and responsibilities. Yeah. Um, and so that's also something that even if you have a tech lead and engineering manager, people might go, yeah, I kind of get a sense about what you are doing. Uh, at the beginning of working together, it's healthy to sort of sit down and say, like, like what level of involvement, like who should own this thing? Um, you know, who's accountable, who's responsible, what's the, the type of style that would like to sort of work with each other in on some of these activities? Do you like to do that thing? Do I like to do that thing? 
to really make it explicit and deliberate because I think where I see sometimes a lot of conflict is unnecessary Yeah. Uh, because most people make assumptions. Oh yeah, well, you know, of course they're going to take care of that or of course that's my thing. Um, and then either one of two things happen is that the other person's thinking the same thing and something either slips through because they're assuming the other person will take care of it um, or it uh, feels like they're treading on each other's toes because it's like, well, that's my responsibility or that's my activity. Why are they doing it? Yeah. Um, and they're not sort of um, direct or upfront about uh, um, having that discussion. Yeah. So make sure that you do sit down if you are in a sort of pair or a, a split co-leadership role. Uh, think of it as a mini sub team where you should also think of that as going through the sort of team formation process and set expectations. Uh, agree on you know what how you'd like to work together as a mini co-leadership team. Uh, that's really important to going to building healthy relationships. Yeah, yeah, I like that you draw that comparison because those those aspects you were mentioning, I was like, that really helps forming a team, right? And in kind of a scrum team, as an example, you would go through that, right? Through fire and probably through a lot of product development in there you would learn about what the other person is responsible for, it takes accountability for, it takes ownership of, and you're going to tailor make kind of your team towards that or your personal approach in there to really come out better as a team. And even if you are in a leadership position, you have still people that you collaborate with on a day-to-day -day basis. So for me, if I'm in a product team and I look at kind of my management layer, I expect them to work together as a team. And it makes me really sad if I don't see any aspects of that. If someone is just working on their own silo and then don't really communicate, and I notice that they don't communicate, like it, it, it's not as effective as it should be. And you are a team, even though you don't really want to admit in that. No. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's the thing, which is like, you have to invest in building a team. You can't just assume like, well, we throw people together and they work well. <laughs> Man, um, you're a team now. I know yeah. it's like it's it takes effort right and energy and and time and if people aren't making that time uh then you're kind of like hoping but hope is not necessarily a good strategy for building high performance <laughs> teams exactly I mean it's an interesting thing because when I'm in a team one of the things that really motivates me is if a team is really effective so even if I know we can be more effective or more efficient that's usually what I put my focus and effort into that's also all my stickies on a retrospectives are about like we can do better because of this and then we'll be more effective usually. But when it comes to the actual responsibility of effectiveness, is that like within a leadership function or or a position in there or is that more like ownership of the team? Because I, I feel a, a high responsibility towards that. It's because it's more of a personal drive, but I don't know if that responsibility should lie with someone else. Uh, so A, I think you're, uh, um, I, I can sense that sense of like, you know, people are focused trying to help the team be a lot more effective. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, I can imagine that whoever is a formal leader or manager for your team is very probably happy to have you on the team. I hope so. Because, you know, you care about like other people and you're helping things work that way. Um, you know, and, and I think this is where it comes back down to me, the split between accountability and responsibility yeah. and the old saying, it depends, is that in an ideal world, uh, if we go back to this idea of like a self-empowered team, Everyone on that team should be thinking about how they should be improving effectiveness, right? Like yourself, right? Everyone should be piping up and saying, hey, I think we could do this better. Let's make it better. Let's, okay, let's do this to make it better. And let's all work better at sort of improving this sort of aspect. Yeah. But what happens if it doesn't? What happens if people in the team, you know, they're just happy doing individual work, but you're not thinking about that, right? And so that's one of the reasons why you have those formal leaders, that sort of safety net again, 
is that, you know, somebody needs to focus on that if you're going to help a team become a lot more effective. And so that's where the accountability comes. And this is the trickiness with a leader is that you have to adapt your style is that, you know, if we have a team of people like you, Patrick, mm. um, me as the former leader, I don't probably need to worry about too much, right? Is that I can go back to maybe also being an individual contributor because the team is taking care of a lot of different things. But in a different parallel universe, yeah. aka a different team with different people, um, you know, they're just focused on doing their own thing, not thinking about how to improve their own work environment. That's now on me as a leader to probably drive more of that activity because it's not happening sort of by default. Right? Right. And yeah. in order to improve the effectiveness of the team, somebody needs to do it. But if nobody is doing it in the team, that's what the sort of accountable uh, leadership role is there for to help improve that. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of the, it depends, but it really depends on the people in the team and what what you what is actually happening. Yeah, interesting. When I zoom into your past, because you've had like the roles and responsibilities of an engineering manager, a tech lead and a CTO, what was really the position where you were like, oh, this was like really my thing or I, I really felt at home with kind of these responsibilities and accountability as well? Uh, it's a, it's a hard question because, um, people grow, Yeah. right? I think this is the hard thing is that at different parts of my journey, um, you know, like I wouldn't have probably tried a different role if I didn't want to experiment with something. That's a good point. Um, yeah. you know, I think the human side is, um, I think it's called a hedonic, a hedonic adaptation is that, you know, something that brings us happiness. We, if we keep doing it, we kind of get a bit bored, mm. uh, because we adapt and therefore, we need like new things. Um, for a lot of people, it's often about like a new type of program or a new type of tool to play around with. Um, and if I go back in my career, I remember one conversation with somebody I had um, at a pub, uh, like with all things in the UK. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and he was like, oh, you know, all I do is basically write something that takes in XML in one program and like spits out XML for another program. Mm. I'm kind of like, that's kind of all the programming, really. Right? Yeah. Like, it might be a different thing, not XML. It's like JSON or like an event. And you kind of do some stuff with it. Maybe you save it away for a while. And then you kind of like, you know, throw it out somewhere else for some other system to enjoy. That's kind of the essence of it, right? Yeah. And like, you know, for some people, like the how to do that is like really interesting and sort of fun. Um, but maybe like yourself, you're kind of like, well, okay, you know, well, the people element, that's kind of interesting, right? Because there's a lot to learn there. Um, and so, you know, it depends on the sort of background because people learn and grow. And so for me, I, I, I um, you know, I'm not generally a long-term planner and I feel mm. like I, I think I have some core things I enjoy doing, right? So like I help enjoy growing people and you can do that as an individual contributor. You can do this as a tech lead, as an interim manager, as a CTO. What I do now, helping lots of CTOs, helping lots of people uh, through my training and workshops. Um, and, um, you know, maybe what was less important for me was about maybe learning another programming language or another sort of tool set. Yeah. Um, because, you know, once you've learned a few programming languages, the next one's not that different, to be honest. Like, okay, different syntax, uh, different build tool, different unit testing frameworks, whatever, but like, it's still kind of the same type of thing, right? So, um, you know, uh, I think it's, it's kind of different. So it's, it's hard for me to answer that one. Uh, <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, because I think, you know, like I think about growth as non-linear, right? Yeah. It's like you kind of wonder and you're kind of happy for a bit, but because we're people that hedonic adaptation kicks in, it's like, ah, I need to, do, I feel like I need to do something different. Right. And you kind of like, and so there's probably like snapshots of things like that, um, over my career, but it's not like one point where I'm like, I'm frozen and I've like found 
my spot in the universe for all of life. Like I, I kind of um, try to say, never say never mm. uh, because people change, people yeah. learn, people grow. Yeah, I align with that a lot, actually. I mean, I laid out kind of my career options now and it's DevRel and probably engineering manager. But if you were to ask me a year back or even two years back, I would have said Scrum Master and Product Owner because I was all into that. And I have, I mean, I'm lucky that I'm in an organization where I get to try out a lot of things. I think especially when you are a person that has kind of a broad interest and doesn't exactly know where they want to head out yet, it's the best organization to be in when you can try out like roles and responsibilities with regards to those roles that you kind of aim for or that you're interested in. Because also figuring out what you want to do and figuring out what you don't want to do is just as important because the more you figure out what you don't want to do is going to get you closer to what you actually do want to do down the line. And if you actually get to do that, it's fine to then move on as well and be like, ah, something new and shiny. Let's uh, yeah. let's see what that is. Absolutely. And um, it kind of like what you described and particularly about your environment is an important thing is that you do have lots of opportunities to try different things. Um, but even if people aren't in an opportunity where you feel there's a lot of different things, well, I find myself repeating quite a lot for people on career advice. I get a lot asked about a lot career, uh, particularly early in career, yeah. is um, I find it's not so useful to say, what do you want to be? Um, and I'd rather sort of say, you know, what would you like to perhaps do for, say, the next six or 12 months? Yeah. Um, and what I mean by that is, like, don't think about the role. Think about, like, the skill or experience that you would like to grow in and find ways that you can practice that skill or develop that skill and experience. Uh, because often um, that skill and experience will sort of, you can use that in other roles, just in different ways. So uh, as an example, you know, very early in my career, uh, one of the reasons I wrote like the retrospective handbook was because I did a lot of facilitation, yeah. right? Um, is that for me, it was an interesting thing. I like, A, I was really annoyed at like poorly run meetings. <laughs> yeah. uh, so like if I help facilitate it, then we could be a lot more effective. So there was like a personal selfish reason, but also, you know, there's a side benefit in that other people don't have to sit through ineffective meetings. Um, and I was like fascinated by that. Um, but I also wasn't like, I want to become, well, I mean, I didn't really think about it, but I didn't really think I want to become a full-time facilitator. Yeah. Uh, that's a skill and experience. And, you know, when I was leading technical teams, it's then a skill I could bring with me. Uh, you know, when you're dealing with very highly opinionated technical people, facilitation <laughs> is a very good skill. Absolutely. Uh, and then similarly, you know, in a CTO role, it's a great way of like surfacing quieter voices and things like that. And so that's what I find is really useful uh, sort of, you know, when you think about what you want to be, it feels like a non-reversible decision. Yeah. Right? It's like a decision that you have to make. It's like fully committed. Set in, in stone. Exactly. And, you know, I think the thing is if you focus on what you want to do or practice um, skill and experience wise for a time period, you can change that again in the future. And you can probably use that in whichever roles you end up doing in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I've learned throughout this podcast that communication is a life skill. And even though I'm not going to do uh, a technical, I'm not going to have a technical responsibility throughout all my life, communication is something that I take with me. So the more life skills you can cultivate, the more you can take with you also to new opportunities and uh, and jobs in there as well. Yeah. Absolutely. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Pat. I'm going to round it off here. Throughout your journey with regards to leadership roles and even career advice in there as well, is there anything we missed that you still would like to share with our audience? Um, I think we've covered quite a lot. Right. Um, but, uh, um, you know, I think maybe if there was anything I was to reflect on our conversation today, 
uh, is um, it feels, and maybe people don't know about these sorts of two different ideas, um, uh, that you have a very strong growth mindset. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, sometimes there's this idea of this fixed mindset of like what we are, you know, who we are, um, and the innate things that we're born with. And, you know, I think the things that I've learned over the career that I felt is reflected a lot in our conversation today is that, you know, by taking this growth mindset is that we all have ways that we can all grow. Um, you know, uh, there are things that we can tap into that are maybe our innate strengths, um, but there are also lots of different dimensions that we always have some capacity to grow and learn in as well. So I love that. My final words. That's awesome. That's awesome. Cool. We're going to round it off here, everyone. I'm going to put all Pat's links in the descriptions. Pat Kua, check him out. Let him know you came from our show. And with that being said, thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next one.